0: Welcome to the Cross to Crown Podcast, where we keep the system out of theology, and the baby out of the bathwater. We keep the text in its context, and the new in the New Covenant. Our mission is to help you live intentionally, Christ-obsessed in all things.
1: everybody, and welcome to the Cross the Crown podcast. I'm Chris Fail with Doug Gooden. Say hi, Doug.
0: Hi, Doug. Oh, wait. Hey, everybody. <laughs> oh, uh, I definitely,
1: definitely a dad.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Corny dad jokes.
1: That's right. Uh, by the way, I used your uh, pirate joke on several people already. It
0: works, doesn't it? Everybody it. Calls works sport. great.
1: Yeah. They, they all say they they all say R, uh-huh. and I say no. It's the B to be the C's. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I'm disappointed that you changed your profile pic so quickly away from the uh, Captain Hook <laughs> image. That was that was uh, that was really good.
1: Well, I, I run uh, I have two Facebook pages, and uh, one of them is my uh, public profile, my just general profile, and one I keep for my family uh, only. And I share pictures on there that I don't, you know, with family stuff like that that I don't share in general public and and um just for general paranoia and um (laughs) but and and in that picture you'll see pirate stuff in it i need to to
0: become your friend then see i'm not not i need i need to friend you over there
1: yeah well (laughs) well well, i'm not the one that unfriended you on the podcast anchor app
0: (laughs) all i did was update the app man
1: (laughs) so yeah we had some technical difficulties because the app updated itself and uh it decided that we no longer needed to be friends. And, and so. Uh,
0: <laughs> but we're still
1: friends. That's right. We're still friends. <laughs> so this is episode 14. And this one's going to be a little different than the podcast we, episodes we've done in the past where uh, it's going to be a question answer session. And uh, I'm going to probably title this Ask, Ask Doug.
0: <laughs> cool.
1: <laughs> so it'll be all aimed at you. Yes. So but b- before, we, before we dive in, what's going on in your life?
0: Oh, uh, my wife and I are doing a marriage conference uh, this weekend at uh, Parker mm -hmm. Hills Bible Fellowship in Parker, Colorado. I preached there last Mm -hmm. Sunday to kind of set the uh, theological foundation and uh, Mm -hmm. we go back tomorrow night and Saturday to to walk through husbands and wives and things. And uh, so looking forward to that. I always enjoy speaking to couples and especially men. You know, you and I have talked a little bit Mm -hmm. about this. Right. Uh, I just find more and more husbands uh, need a lot of help, a lot of coaching, a lot of uh, uh, just awareness and encouragement on how to really be men and lead their families. So I always enjoy these these kind of things.
1: Hmm. What did you What did you preach on to lay the theological foundation?
0: Um, so anytime I get to speak on this, uh, when I when people don't know where I'm coming from, I basically unpack Ephesians five, the mystery of marriage, going back to the beginning hmm. and just showing how. Uh, the ultimate purpose of marriage is not the foundation of the family or of civilization, but it's to sh- be a picture of Christ in the church, and uh, mm-hmm. that the roles of headship and submission and loving and cherishing, nourishing all those things all derive from the fact that the man represents Christ and the wife right. represents uh, the church. So uh, that's really where I spend my time, and then I. I look a little bit at Revelation 19, uh, where, you know, marriage is – the Bible's about marriage cover to cover. You've got it at the very beginning, mm-hmm. the first creation of, mm-hmm. of the first man and woman, and then we're waiting for ultimately our wedding day with Jesus. So I, I like to unpack right. all that, kind of a biblical theology of marriage.
1: Yeah. You know, um, that's I was thinking about that a while back when we were talking about marriage, and there's a lot of um, great books out there. You've got the uh, uh, New Studies in Biblical Theology series and, and some of the other biblical – theology series that are out there and they, they've they hit um a lot of great themes in the scripture one i'd like to see and i don't think they have it but i'd love to see it is, is a a biblical theology tracing the theme of, of marriage mm. throughout the scriptures so there you go doug next next book i should just write that <laughs> and send it to him say here you need to publish
0: this well that's right i was so moved last week with some conversations with some uh, gentlemen here in my church that uh i have i've set aside everything else uh I'm Mm. I'm writing a book on uh, on men for men for husbands, Mm. and uh, it's just it's flowing out. It's going to be fairly quick, I think. Uh, I'm still going to do the Roman stuff, so I know we've told people that in the past, and we're you know that's largely done except the editing. So, but as far Mm -hmm. as a new work, uh, this is going to be the next one, and uh, it's just so important for guys to understand what the scripture says. So maybe when I get done with that, I'll uh, I'll take you up on that, and then I'll I'll let you knock down the doors (laughs) of the the, uh, series and see if they'll publish it.
1: Yeah, I'll call uh, uh old uh, Don Carson and, and see. Yes,
0: your your good buddy Don.
1: <laughs> yes. Hey, hey, I got, I got a marriage question for you. I got a mystery on my hands. That uh, since since you do a lot of uh, marriage counseling stuff, help me out with a marriage marriage mystery here. What does it mean when your wife does not like you to grow a beard, but then she comes back from a weekend trip with her sister and she gives you a can of beard cream that she. She uh picked up at a at a nice store. What what does that
0: mean? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes.
0: So you are part of the mystery. Now I always have to tell people when I preach this sermon, when Paul calls marriage a mystery, he's not talking about what you just brought up. He's using okay, okay. He's using mystery in the biblical sense. But there is clearly a uh, a mystery oh, in the other man. sense in our in our uh, in our lives. Every married man would would say, Amen, um, marriage is a mystery. Oh, but I will give you this much. Was- and I'm not gonna unpack it all because you need to learn something wrong. But I give you this much. That's right. We would all do better mm-hmm. as men. If we don't pay so much attention to our wives' words and pay more mm-hmm. attention to their actions, Amen. we Amen. get caught up in the words because as men, that's what we do. We, we, we are mm-hmm. rational creatures and we wrestle with words. Women right. say all kinds of things Everything. that Everything. they don't yep. necessarily mean. So how do you know where they stand? Look at their actions. Mm-hmm. That's right. So put the shaving I cream totally on, agree. man. Yeah. <laughs> the,
1: beard the beard bomb. Well, here's, here's – okay. Let me throw even more mystery into it. She. <laughs> <laughs> well she she gives me the bag it's got it's got um, a beard balm in it beard cream at the same time it has a new shaving kit in it
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so i i asked her she says oh well you can you can use the uh the razor to shave your neck
0: uh, <laughs> when you grow the,
1: and soften your that's beard right.
0: So If I can't get him to shave it all off, at least it can be softer. (laughs)
1: That's right. That's right. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, you know what? I really think that would be a helpful book. I really do because of the times we're dealing with where um, in the past we saw a huge assault on marriage uh, and we're we're seeing assaults on on, uh, biblical relationships and such. And I think one of the big assaults that we're seeing in the last uh, 20 years, especially really amped up right now, with the feminist movement, with, with the uh, gender identity thing, uh, just and, and everything else is a real big assault on men on, on, on manhood uh, they're tearing down that headship and, and in doing so tearing down a lot of authority, the, the, the picture mystery of, of Christ in the church so so I think that's just a, a wonderful. Book to put out right now
0: well and and not only is it being attacked, but even in the church where people would yes. affirm one hundred percent that mm-hmm. uh, the man is the head of his wife, mm. so many guys don't know what that means, what that looks like, and we are afraid to actually yeah. exercise that exactly. headship and what we don't and this is what i I try to persuade guys of your wife longs for this. You know, Mm -hmm, we are afraid mm -hmm. that if we really take control of our household, our wife is going to Mm -hmm. respond negatively because that's how the women of the world respond to masculinity. And it's just Mm -hmm. the opposite. A good woman wants her husband to be the Mm -hmm. leader, to take charge. It frees her to be who she is. Yes. And she will respond amazingly. And that's just, it's counterintuitive in our culture for guys to understand that.
1: Right, exactly, and that's and that's the way that mm-hmm. we're built, and and uh, so she's going to respond the way that she's exactly. built, um, and and yeah, it's it, I think it's essential. Don't essential, don't, but you don't know, I, going,
0: man. We'll spend the whole hour on this.
1: Yeah, just just this. I, I listened to some of the videos. Listen to all the videos that you've been putting out about manhood, and will listen to them. I I think I feels like I'm listening to um, someone from from back in the the '60s mm. talking. Mm about manhood Hmm. and husbandhood um it's just it's been lacking for so long uh especially not not from just a a general point of view from from a a biblical point of view uh it's it's something that's been lacking in a lot of churches because even the people who who espouse to be uh strong on this issue right often water it down and claim that this is the strong view this is the biblical view well there's a
0: bunch of wimps around that's the bottom line And uh, yes, it's just this men are afraid to be men. So you may have noticed I haven't done one of those videos for several weeks. And that's on purpose. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, coming out of some of these other discussions, I have realized there is a layer even prior to where I was going with those videos that guys Mm -hmm. need to understand. So in conjunction with this book that I'm writing, I'm kind of going to reframe and start even at a more basic level. And I am going to continue to do those videos, but I I really want to help coach Mm -hmm. guys through those. To start building this foundation of of manhood and so uh they'll be i'll be producing more probably starting next week but i just wanted to regroup Mm -hmm. and say okay wait a minute what assumptions do i have coming into this um again i I don't want to spend all time here but i my father is a a world war ii veteran he's 96 years old we may have had i may have Mm -hmm. already talked about this but i saw Mm -hmm. in him you know that old school manhood And I just continue to realize most guys didn't have that. So it's caused me to say, okay, how do I help really strip away all the other stuff and get down to the front build from the ground up and help guys get there. So that's, that's what I'm hoping to do. And uh, I hope it'll, it'll bless guys as we go.
1: Good stuff. Good stuff.
0: All right. So uh, I hope you got your, Theological warm up on, and
1: and uh, you're ready for these questions. Well, does everybody understand
0: um, that I have not seen these questions yet?
1: He, that's right. We we said that we were gonna. I was gonna give you the list, but uh, afterwards we talked, and we decided that that Doug was gonna go in this blind. Yeah. So
0: <laughs> here we go. And,
1: and 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 as I said, I'll be sitting back pelting him with these. Um, and uh, see, seeing how he responds, uh, if I was there, I'd be telling you how much he's sweating. Um, but I don't, I don't think that's a problem for Doug. Doug's, Doug's a, been a pastor for over 20 years, and um, he's seen a lot of what comes through pastoral counseling so, um, and, and theological discussions. And, so you're ready for this.
0: Well, I wouldn't go that far, <laughs> but uh, we, I do a, a, a retreat every year with our college and career group. And uh, one mm-hmm. session they always have is stump Pastor Doug. And so I've got a lot of practice in this kind of thing.
1: All right. So let's see if I can. uh, Yeah, yeah, no, no, don't 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 try that. Let me me give you the first one. Now, the first one is, let me just say that this is, the the reason I put this first is because it is one of the most common objections to new covenant theology from uh, those who may hold to the Reform position of a tripartite law, um, understanding that the Ten Commandments is the continual, perpetual, abiding, moral law binding upon all people at all times. And um, so I wanted to start off this question. It's, it's, a, it's a tricky one, but it's a good one. And there's a reason for it. Uh, it it's, and, and we can give caveat to a, a piece that was written a while back from an NCPT perspective. And he mentions this in a short bit of his book. I mean, so I think it's a, less than a page. He mentions this issue. Um, most of us think he got it wrong. But uh, that he it, – it, it put a bad light on NCT in some way. So let me go ahead and ask the question first. Hey, brother, love the podcast. So thank you very much. And that's from uh, Doug Gazazan. I hope I got that last name right. Or Dave, I'm sorry, Dave Gazazan. Um, my question is regarding incest and even bestiality. I've read a few perspectives within nct some even allowing for incest that's the book we're talking about Uh, i've also seen some that deny it i realize nct has some areas that aren't homogenous but i think new covenant law ethics is a relatively significant part of the system appreciate the podcast greatly and keep up the great work so doug how do we answer the charge it says uh well, the New Covenant, the New Testament, because you New Covenant guys uh are, are so into the New Testament and you dismiss the old testament and the old covenant law um so much that uh you, you have no answer for, for bestiality being wrong or incest being wrong, uh because if it's not reaffirmed in the new covenant and and uh or, or established in the new covenant, therefore uh you have to dismiss everything and and uh there's nothing in the in the New Testament about bestiality or incest. How do you answer that
0: All right, a little hanging curveball to start off. I appreciate that uh mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well uh so first of all uh let me just say it is a it's a good question it It's a perfectly reasonable mm-hmm. question, and even for our covenant brothers who You know, want to hurl this at us kind of a sometimes it's framed as a gotcha question, you know, because the New New Testament doesn't uh, address bestiality and incest. It's kind of a ha ha gotcha. But I would say, first of all, that that cuts back the other way. If you're Mm -hmm. going to adopt the tripartite view of the law Mm -hmm. and say that the Ten Commandments are the moral law and that the other laws are either part of the ceremonial law or the national law, and they've been abrogated, none of the Ten Commandments deals with bestiality or incest either. right? Mm-hmm. So they, they can't have it both ways. If they're going to say, no, no, but these other laws in, in the Old Testament are part of the moral law, then the burden of proof is on them, again, to tell us where those laws are divided. How do you decide uh, which of the laws in Leviticus are ceremonial and which are moral. And if they're going to expand it beyond the Ten Commandments, then they need to prove that. And, and again, what it all comes down to is they would say, well, adultery implies sexual purity. Right. And then how do we know what sexual purity mm-hmm. is? We look at the other laws. That Again, that doesn't work because those other laws also include prohibition. I mean, not prohibition, but endorsement of polygamy. And no covenant guy wants to go there. So in the same chapter there for the same section of chapters, they'll find a verse that says polygamy is fine as long as, you know, you don't abandon your first wife. And they say, Oh, well, that's, that's not okay. But the ones against bestiality are still in force. So uh, all I'm saying is the presuppositions that a covenant guy brings to it does not help them eradicate the problem. It's still a, a difficult mm-hmm. question. And here's the other thing that makes this uh, difficult is there is no doubt, at least I I can't think of any any way around this, incest did occur Mm -hmm. and was God endorsed.
1: Mm -hmm. Right.
0: I mean, the the age-old question that skeptic, that unbelievers want to throw at us as gotcha questions is, where did Cain get his wife? If we believe the historical reality of the first few chapters of Genesis, there's just no way around it. Cain... Married his his sister. Uh, there's mm-hmm. no other option, right? And uh, mm-hmm. and so if that's the case, then at some level you have to say, in some circumstances at least, it was not so heinous and and detestable to God. All right, so right, all that is kind of aside. Uh, to me, this one is, is relatively simple. Um, okay, let me let me give one more uh, foundational setup here. Uh, We as New Covenant folks do not say that none of God's law in the Old Testament uh, is, uh, I'm saying that the wrong way. Uh, When we say anything in the Old Testament has to be repeated in the New, well, at least when I say it, what I mean is anything in the Old Covenant has to be repeated in the New. Uh, Mm -hmm. The Old Covenant began in Exodus not in Genesis. So for example, uh, we have capital punishment required by God after the flood in Genesis, and that is binding on all men everywhere. That was given to Noah as the world was being re uh, refilled, you know, down to eight people, Noah and his wife and his kids and their wives. And those eight people were now going to repopulate the earth. And he says to Noah, if a man sheds another man's blood, the one who did it forfeits his own. That is a universal. That's why we are capital punishment folks. and We have to be because right. that is given to man as man, not to Israel and the old covenant. So having said mm-hmm. that, if there are other laws, other, other, um, statements by God that apply to all nations, then at least for my reading, that's enough to say, this is part of God's universal requirement everywhere. And that's exactly what we, what we have with incest and bestiality. So uh, if anybody is listening and wants to dive into this, I would encourage you to get out, get out your Bible and turn to Leviticus 18, because you need to see this in, in, in what I'm saying. Otherwise, you're going to get confused. Right. So Leviticus 18. Yes, it's in the Old Covenant. Yes, it's in the, in the, in the Pentateuch. It's in, in the, the law given to Israel. So we would call most everything in Leviticus Old Covenant law. And as we've already argued in previous podcasts, those laws are not binding on the church unless they're repeated mm-hmm. in the new testament however there's uh something that we have to notice here in Levitics, leviticus 18 so let me let mm-hmm. me read yes. it here then the, this is starting in verse one then the lord spoke to moses saying speak to the sons of israel and say to them i am the lord your god you shall not do what is done in the land of egypt where you lived Nor are you to do what is done in the land of Canaan, where I'm bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You are to perform my judgments and keep my statutes to live in accordance with them. I am the Lord your God. So he's telling, God is telling Israel through Moses, as we enter into the promised land, as we enter into the land of Canaan, do not do do like the Egyptians did where I've led you out of Egypt. Don't do what you saw them do. And don't do what you will see the Canaanites do. You do what I tell you to do. And then he lists a, a whole mm-hmm. bunch of things that are detestable to God. And it's all these sexual sins. Starting in verse 6, none of you shall approach any blood relative to his of his to uncover his nakedness. So there's incest. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father. That's the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You are not to uncover her nakedness. And he goes through this whole list of a variety of relational, uh, of relatives and says, you're not mm-hmm. allowed to have sex with them. Uncles and aunts and sisters and brothers and the stepbrothers and stepsisters sisters and, and all that. So clearly a prohibition against incest is here for the Jews. Uh, and then, uh, skipping on down here, um, Verse 22 of Leviticus 18 says, you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. So here's homosexuality. Verse 23, also, you shall not have intercourse with any animal to be defiled with it, nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is a perversion. Okay, so again, you might argue, well, he's giving his law and he is, Mm. but it's Mm -hmm. what comes next that matters for our discussion. Verse 24, do not defile yourselves by any of these things, for by all these, the nations, which I am casting out before you, have become defiled. For the land has become defiled, therefore I have brought its punishment upon it, so the land has spewed out its inhabitants. So what we see here is, God is saying through Moses... I have these laws, I have these requirements of all nations that prohibit incest and bestiality and homosexuality. And these nations have committed them, and I am judging them. I am spewing them out. I'm using you Israelites Mm -hmm. as my instrument to wipe out the Canaanites for all of this gross and heinous sin, and you Israelites don't be like them. So here in Leviticus 18, he's not so much giving positive law for the Jews, at least not exclusively. He's saying my standards of sexual purity extend everywhere. And the mm. nations that commit these gross and heinous sins, I will destroy, I will wipe out. So what we learn from that is these parts of the old covenant law were not exclusive to the Jews. This is part of God's universal Um, uh, expectations of every nation to avoid these gross and heinous sexual sin. So because of that, we don't have to see it repeated explicitly in the New Testament. I will say on the flip side, Jesus brings marriage and sexuality back to its original intent when he says a man shall leave his father and mother be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one. So man and woman, one man, one woman, that's the expectation and And no goats you 're not allowed to have sex with animals, right. that kind of thing it 's a man right. and a woman, so that doesn 't address the incestual relationship, but it does address bestiality in in that statement but that 's how I would read Leviticus eighteen uh, a couple chapters later. God goes through the same list of commands uh, for Israel mm-hmm. and lays it out and says, "Do not do this, and there it 's specifically commands given to the nation of Israel, but here he 's warning them, if you do, the, do these awful things, these other nations." did i will destroy you just like i'm destroying them and by the way none of those nations egypt canaan anybody else none of them had god's law so we know that this is god's expectation of them and it's not just because it was written in the old covenant law
1: right let me ask you a question since we're at leviticus 17 or 18 i actually turned there before you started on it because i was going to get you to, to hit into it and i've had some great discussion with um uh a lot of nct guys on this passage before uh so we, we we as you started off with there's a time in which incest was not a sin we, you know the, the children of adam and eve um and then now we jump over here to leviticus 18 and we find out that now this is a sin this is detestable in the sight of the lord these people have been practicing this uh and god's going to to bring uh, judgment upon them the, the question that that a lot of folks have tried to do is try to figure out when did this when and how did this become established in the period between adam's offspring and leviticus 18 we don't have any record of god giving any oral or written command or anything like that to the people uh pre-noaic time or post-noaic uh time is it is it Do you you think it's something that just uh, God may have revealed to them at that point, and we just don't have it recorded, but yet here it's telling us that this was set up, and therefore it must have been some type of revelatory information law that was given to them?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question, and I don't think we have a biblical answer. I mean, you even have Mm -hmm. Abraham and Sarah, Sarah Mm -hmm. being his half-sister, and it's clearly prohibited here for the Jews in Leviticus, and it's listed among those things that God is spewing out these other nations because they're doing it. So uh, right. you just have to be very careful. You, you know me, I'm going to say, let's stick to mm-hmm. the scripture. And I the don't, I, we, we can't answer that. The scripture doesn't speak to that. And we can build our system of theology and come up with answers. But that doesn't mean the Bible supports those answers. Um, mm-hmm. What we do know, and this is, this is as far as I'll go with it, uh, Romans 1, uh, we have mm-hmm. when men reject God, then that almost as a straight line to sexual depravity and mm-hmm. uh so we're going to see all kinds of gross and heinous things but with respect to especially um incest we're just not told that and god never rebukes abraham for having you mm-hmm. know his his uh half sister as a as a wife um yeah it, it just it's all speculation at this point and uh, i'm not going to do that
1: yeah 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 i i, I think um uh, one of the things that uh, Covenant theologians do is mischaracterize NCT for dismissing the Old Testament as if uh, we tear out the – I mean I've even seen people post things uh, insinuating and actually out and out saying that that NCT people just cut out the Old Testament Mm. out of their Bible. uh, When we don't, we understand it to be all of God's word. We understand it, though, uh, that we can understand it better than the the early Jews did because the fact that we have the light of Christ to understand much of it was hidden from their eyes. It was a mystery to them. And um, we understand it as wisdom for us to help us to understand God and, and his nature, his character. Uh, but again, in light of Christ, we've, we've got a better better uh, vision of it than anything. Well, we take
0: it on its own terms. And we don't mm-hmm. uh, impose our structures on it. But uh, again, right. what I'm describing here is the, the, the covenant, all the things we've been talking about in early podcasts, all those differences of the covenants and God's plan of redemption and how it all points to mm-hmm. Christ, we let, that say what the, we let that be the grid through which we interpret the scripture. And right. so here in Leviticus, the commands given to Israel, we say, are for Israel. But what I'm pointing out here is there's something beyond Israel that makes God angry with respect to mm-hmm. sexual sin. And, uh, and we right. have that evident here in Leviticus 18. So we, we just do our best to let the scripture say what it says and stop where it stops.
1: Right. Amen. Amen. And that's the, that's the problem is uh, too often we try to go impress too much and go beyond what is written. And it, it, when we do that, we start going into our own conjectures, uh, making those more uh, doctrine or dogmatic uh, rather than, than sticking to the scriptures and being honest and saying, well, God just didn't reveal that to us. God doesn't tell us that uh, we don't know everything. And <laughs> God has chosen not to reveal some things to us, a lot of things to us. <laughs> so we have to be honest and truthful and we have to be trusting in that. All right, sir. There you go. I think we got the All hard right, one. It's good. The way. Easy, All right. <laughs> Taking deep breath. Was Jesus, really, God.
0: Yes, He is really God. <laughs> All right, good.
1: Next. Next one. <laughs> what are the two halves of the Bible? Right.
0: <laughs> how many? How many books? The Old Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, is the Gospel of Thomas real? <laughs> no.
0: No. By uh, the way, just no.
1: No. 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 <laughs> uh, okay. How, how does um. This is from uh, Jesse Boggs. He says, "How does New Covenant Theology slash the Bible
0: deal <laughs> I love with that. the old?"
1: <laughs> well, I, I I did that because he he did not originally that. What he did is he he posted originally he says, "How does New NCT deal with such and such?" And I'll ask the question segment. How does NCT deal with such and such? And somebody posted and said, "You know what? It's we always get into trouble when we say how does a system yes. deal with it rather than the Bible." And so later on, he reposted and said. You're right. How, let me rephrase that. How does excellent. the Bible deal with this? Uh, so, so I wanted to note <laughs> that, that he says, how does NCT slash the Bible? Because we, we don't want to get caught too much up into a system or, or a label. Um, if NCT doesn't comport with the Bible, if it does not adhere to what the Scriptures say, we need to say we're done with NCT. Uh, we're done with any system, whatever it is, if it's not right. uh, faithful right. to the Scriptures. So what does the, what does the Bible – Uh, How how does the Bible deal with the Old Testament law question raised after homosexuality and not eating shellfish as found in Leviticus? Okay, so similar to our other question, he says a CT would point out that the tripartite law, what would NCT point to in this text, defend the biblical view of sexuality and interact with the biblical text? And I think we mostly did that um, in that passage right there. But how would you, uh, you know, because let me let me try to go draw a little bit more on of this question. You've got stuff about homosexuality in some passages, and right later on, you have something about shellfish. Uh, how does how do we interact with that? I mean, how do we dissect? This is something we should be looking at as being valid for us, and this is right. not.
0: Well, it's exactly the same uh, thing we just said. I would go to exactly the same mm-hmm. passage, Leviticus eighteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the old covenant law. The laws that were given as part of the old covenant and they were given to Israel, mm-hmm. that law is not our law. So, right. the prohibition against shellfish and the difference between clean and unclean animals and eating pork and the Sabbath days, all of those things are for Israel exclusively. Homosexuality. Mm-hmm is, first of all, very clearly condemned in the New Covenant, in Romans mm-hmm. 1, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, etc. And it's also broader than that, as I just pointed out from Leviticus 18. So it's, it's really not a, a difficult thing at all. Again, what I'm purporting, what I'm affirming here is Leviticus 18 is, a, is describing God's anger at non-Jewish nations who are violating his sexual requirements, and shellfish and those things were all limited to Israel,
1: right? Right. And we, we have a NCT or New Covenant. Excuse me. We have New Covenant passages that talk about how um, Christ made all those foods clean, right? Uh, acceptable, right? Yep. Um, okay. So next question: Should Christians be engaged in Eastern meditation, breathing exercises, uh, emptying of the mind, mindfulness, yoga, and why has it crept into the church? Churches have yoga nights, etc. That's from Steve.
0: Uh, well, based on the phrasing of the question, I would assume that he already has made up his mind. And the answer is no. He <laughs> talks about creeping into the church and so on. Um, yeah, we certainly need to avoid the Eastern reasoning for any of those kinds of mm-hmm. things. You know, the Bible talks about meditation, and, and that's mm-hmm. a good thing, but it's meditating on something, it's meditating right. on God's revealed word, not. Just clearing your mind of everything, which is uh, typically what the the yoga and the the uh, the eastern and the Buddhist and, and that kind of thing. Um, so of course we should we should we're not supposed to try to not think about anything. Uh, that's not using our mind. That's not having renewing new, renewed minds. Now, having said that, is there value in getting still? You know, Psalm does say, "Be still and know the Lord." Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Is there is there value, especially in our culture, that is just filled with uh, noise all the time, you know, is there, mm-hmm. is there value in getting away, shutting things down and cl- trying to clear our minds so that we can focus on the word of God? Of course, that's a good thing to do. And mm-hmm. I would encourage all every Christian to cut out the noise and spend time in, in quietness. That's why the cliche description, quiet time, you know, that's why we, mm-hmm. and, and there's some benefit there. Um, but yeah, not, not in the sense of the Eastern just uh, be one with the universe and, and that kind of thing, you know, and, and you can't think about nothing. That's the, that's the folly of it. In addition to being wrong, you know, <laughs> Aristotle said uh, nothing is what rocks think about. Um, we, right. <laughs> we can't actually shut it all off and we, we shouldn't try to do it for those purposes. I think there's probably um, quite a bit that is relatively harmless in, in, in among Christians, yoga is largely a, a stretching, you know, you're, you're stretching mm-hmm. your body and it's kind of a, health uh, kick kind of thing where they don't have a clue what the the origins Mm -hmm. were and they're not trying to do anything religious at all it's just a try to stretch out the body and make it more flexible Ah, you know just don't call Mm -hmm. it yoga and it's fine Um, so i wouldn't want to say everybody who says they're doing yoga is somehow pursuing eastern religion but we do need to be careful and keep our eyes open for what lies behind this and if they go the next step you know they're reading some book on yoga stretches and then they Decide, oh, if I go sit in the corner and you know, home and and uh, clear yeah. my mind, then I could get more one with God. Okay, now we're getting to problem areas.
1: Right, right, yeah. Um, the, the the yoga thing I, that goes back to what I've often said is you need to when someone says that they're practicing yoga, uh, give them to define your yeah. terms. Being a, a a former professional personal trainer and in the fitness culture. Uh, we were encountering this a lot. In fact, it is a big push in the fitness industry, uh, to go beyond the physical Mm -hmm. realm and go into the quote unquote spiritual, uh, realm. And that's, it's, it's just saturated the fitness industry to where you can't go to a conference, uh, on bodybuilding without having to hear something Mm about that. Um, but, um. I often ask people when they say something about yoga to define their terms. I had a teacher who was saying that she was introducing yoga into the classroom. And I said, Well, what do you mean yoga? I said, What do you do you practice uh breathing rhythms? Do you do you do you do mantras? Uh do you uh do mindfulness? Are you just stretching? She goes, Oh no, no, we just we just get down, and we do the downward dog or we do the stretch. And I said, Okay, so you're mm-hmm. stretching. And she says, Yes, basically. Uh, yoga has become a word that's become synonymous with stretching right. nowadays. Uh, back in the days, it would be, you know, we're doing uh, right. some calisthenics and some, some, some isometric stretches and stuff, uh, some dynamic stretches. But now it's just we're doing yoga. Uh, so, so ask people before you jump right. on them, <laughs> ask them to define their terms of what they mean by yoga. Uh, do you remember back in, the, um, oh, back in the 70s when martial arts was uh, really making inroads mm-hmm. into American culture – and even some churches were offering, you know, uh, martial art classes where they were doing letting people come and do martial arts in their general purpose room or where it might be. And um, there was a big pushback on it because of the Eastern philosophy and, and religion that was associated with martial arts. But it, it came to be known that you know you could have the martial arts, the the, the, the practice of skill of defending and, and uh, fighting, without introducing all those Eastern meditation and Eastern religious aspects. Right. But, uh, and, and today, that's not—it's hardly questioned by uh, many Christians about martial arts because of the fact that that's—that's that's, unless you go to a traditional martial arts studio, you're not going to see that in American martial arts. Uh, and the same thing goes with most most. Jewish and there's a reason for that. What is
0: America so good at? Secularizing everything, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, right. So you know, people get all worried that uh, that Islam is going to take over the U.S. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Uh, Yes, there. we need to be careful and keep our eyes open. Mm-hmm. However, the next generation of Muslims, uh, I don't know if they can stand right. a chance against our culture. We right. are such a secularist no, uh, culture that we just kind of take the heart out of every religion here in the U.S., <laughs> Uh, I, and mm-hmm. the breathing thing, you know, if you, I, I know the, the latest Apple Watch, they make a big deal that, you know, it alerts you. And I, I know the other fitness fans do this too. It alerts you every hour to get up and breathe. <laughs> I, that's good. You know, get, take a walk, breathe deeply. There's, well, I hope, I hope we breathe more than that. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, there, there's probably some benefit to that, especially to getting up mm-hmm. and walking around. Mm-hmm. That That's clearly beneficial. Uh, but again, right. it all comes back to why are you doing this? What's the purpose? And, uh, right. and I think what you just said is, is exactly right on. We need to say, what, what do you mean by yoga and what are you doing with it? What's the foundation, but the moment it crosses over to any kind of a spiritual, mm-hmm. any relationship to God and any, whatever somebody means by God, as soon as you get in that realm, now we need to, to shut it down and say, no, no, we're not, we're yeah. not going there.
1: Yeah. Meet, meat offer to idols kind of issue as well. Right. Um, and, and that, um, But, but if, if a church is offering, um, yoga where they're actually practicing those things, and I, I would say that you need to use caution
0: there and, and, uh, um, I would not let our church Eastern, uh, do a right, yoga thing. I wouldn't let right. them call I, it I would yoga. not advertise.
1: Yeah. Right, exactly, because the association with it, for those who may know it, may be a turnoff. Say, for instance, if you have someone from India who's in, in the area, and they're, they're converts, and they, they know what true yoga is, exactly. and you're saying you're offering yoga. You're offering the religion of uh, Satan there in, in, exactly. in your church. So you need to be careful with labels. But again, if someone uses that label, please ask them what they mean by that. Eastern meditation, that's clearly something we don't practice. Right. (laughs) That's something we just don't do. So, um, yeah, and about about Islam, I mean, you're looking around at the the culture now. You have pockets of Muslims in certain communities where there's a a strong uh, practice of traditional Muslim Islam. But you're also seeing, like here in California – uh you see, yeah, i'm amazed at people because i know what i know what traditional islam looks like i've been over in foreign countries where where that's practiced and i and and i have muslims come up to me sometimes and say that they're muslim when i'm doing evangelism and and i look at them the way they're dressed the way they behave what they're doing they, they say the things they say things they'll admit to and i'm like wow you are just you are just uh, so different than a real mm. muslim <laughs> a traditional muslim i should say so yeah it's, they're 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 uh, they're being uh, transformed here in America very much so to where it's losing that meaning. It's different than what you would see overseas. All right. So that was Steve. Let me ask William McEvoy, McEvoy, McEvoy. Yeah. Sorry, William, if I'm massacring your last name, Um, how should I sound like Paul Kaiser who could never get any name right? Chris Um, (laughs) Fallis. Just call you Chris Fallis. That's how Siri calls you. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes, you're right. Uh, Siri does not seem to have a grasp on my name. Um, so, uh, yeah. Uh, let's see. How should, how should we view church tradition given that a lot, of it, a lot of its doctrine comes out of Roman Catholicism? How should we view church tradition given that a lot of its doctrine comes out of Roman Catholicism? What roles should something like the church creeds play in how we interpret Scripture?
0: Uh those are two different questions. Um yes. the uh, second one is easy. We should not let uh creeds inform our interpretation of scripture at all. Uh we mm-hmm. let the scripture uh th- tell us what it means and uh whether church tradition uh, tr- uh creeds agree with it or not is is irrelevant. Um I'm not saying the creeds are harmful inherently and uh to 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 recite, you know, the apostles creed or the nicene creed um together as a church we have done that in our church and I, there's some uh, i appreciate the way those are written uh, of course there mm-hmm. there are nuances and there are there are phrases in there that you you know some people don't know what they mean and some people have different views so we don't recite it as though um uh this is binding on our church and we don't do it very often by the way but uh it, it's not binding it's not because we say this is a church father's founding document and therefore it carries weight we say look we are part of the church that's existed for 2000 years and mm-hmm. here's an articulation of some of these core truths that, uh, right. that we are going to recite which can be edifying can be good i mean it's i would do that if it was something that you wrote you know if it were if mm-hmm. it were right. a helpful a helpful synopsis it's, it's kind of like the songs that we sing hymns and and mm-hmm. newer songs like where someone has put these truths in a form that we like to recite So I would look at the creeds and saying them as a church, uh, very similar to singing songs. Uh, There's no weight to them other than where they are accurate and true, according to the scripture. Um, The first question I have, I'm a little bit ambivalent on this. Uh, Certainly, I would affirm that we should not follow church tradition because it is church tradition um in mm-hmm. fact the other pastors at uh, my church and i were having this discussion this earlier this week about uh you know christmas and how we make such a big deal of christmas when you know isn't easter uh really the the biggest holiday well of course america mm-hmm. again has secularized everything and, and uh, christmas right. is such a big deal for our for our world um and and at at some point it almost seems ridiculous to start fighting over is Christmas more important than Easter? <laughs> you know, if you don't, one without the other is, is useless uh, to us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, so I think tradition is good. Uh, I think it's inherent in who we are as people to have traditions right. and, mm-hmm. and, and your calendar is going to be shaped by something. Every count, cal- everybody, every family, every individuals, every churches, we're shaped by something uh, when it comes to marking things that are significant. So I'm not opposed to traditions. Uh, I just, as soon as one becomes the official God-inspired tradition and it's your heretics for not holding to this tradition like a church calendar, now you, you know, you you provoked me. Um, so we, so Advent, here's an example, at least for us, Advent in our church some years we, we do something called Advent, and some years we don't. And we don't do it the way any other, you know, the, the Catholic religion and Eastern Orthodoxy and Lutherans, I mean, they would all be appalled at how we do Advent because we don't, we don't do it. We just celebrate the coming of Jesus. Right. We do have, we'll light a candle, and we'll focus on uh, mm-hmm. love and joy, peace, and hope. Uh, each Sunday leading up to Christmas, just in a, in a short exhortation exhortation at the beginning, it's all very Christ centered, but then some years we won't do it. And that's on purpose because I don't want our people getting caught up in this. Uh, this is how the church has to operate. Uh, so I don't want to throw the baby out with the bath water in that sense. Yeah, r- despite our opening, uh, opening song, um, there's, a, there's a time not to throw the baby out with the bath water. <laughs> um, uh, so, so for us, it's, you know, if this is useful to promote Christ, great, but there's no authority in church traditions. So I'm going to give you a little, um, shall I, shall I do this here? Uh, I have a desire to see, I'd like to see seven celebrations annually in the broader church. Oh, here we go. And, and I'm, I'm working <laughs> toward getting this. I'm going to start with my church and then I want to see it spread out. I'm try, trying trying <laughs> to decide if I should re- reveal all seven uh, right now uh, or not. Let's do it. All Let's right. do it. <laughs> so I I like Christmas. I think the, celebrating the birth of Christ is a, is a good thing. I, I'm preaching through John right now and you know in the beginning the word the incarnation the word became flesh that's that big deal. And uh, so not mm-hmm. not the way that America does it but the way the Bible talks about it. So Christmas is a big deal. And then Good Friday. I love that we celebrate Good Friday to just remember right. the atoning work of Christ. And, and of course, there's a sense in which every Sunday is Good Friday and Easter, but to, to highlight it in and in a, draw attention to it in a big way, I think there's value there. So, uh, so Christmas, Good Friday, Easter, Ascension, which is also part of the traditional, you know, church calendar, right. but to really focus on the fact that he is the risen King. You know, our ministry is mm-hmm. called cross to crown, and that's mm-hmm. intentional. He went to the cross. He came back to life, and now he is sitting on the throne of the universe. So to re- really emphasize, he reigns even now. That that's on my heart. Uh, Pentecost again. That's part of traditional uh, church history. Uh, I think it's it's a, a wonderful thing to celebrate uh, Pentecost and, and the pouring out of the Spirit and the foundation of the church. And and we have the power of God. That, you know, we spent a whole episode on on this. We have the power of God mm-hmm. within us. So those are our. Part of the traditional church, and, and I like them, maybe not the way they're always done. But there are two more that I'd like to see us add. One is <laughs> New Year's. New mm. Year's is a Christian holiday, it is not a secular holiday. This mm-hmm. New Year's Eve, I would implore everyone listening to go talk to some of their friends and say, 2019 years from what? Mm. The entire world western world at least mm-hmm. is going to celebrate on December 31st right the year 2019 and they don't have a clue 2019 from what right it's it used to be AD anno domini the year of our lord jesus 2019 it is a christian holiday and uh, i want to see the church celebrate the reign of our lord for 2019 years and then the mm-hmm. the seventh one and this one uh, uh I don't know I, the return of Christ to, to mm. celebrate as a church to remember. You know, he is our blessed hope. We're waiting for his return. We're supposed to be longing for his return uh, to just make a, a, an annual big deal of he's coming back. And uh, I was joking with somebody the other day, like you know, we could put that one, we could move it around every year because <laughs> we don't know when he's coming back.
1: <laughs> so, the time, so we just time move the it day, around. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, well let's see most of
1: these let's see uh springtime we got winter right we've got uh yeah yeah late yeah, summer so fall is really what we some, don't have summer summer yeah uh-huh. summer summertime yeah <laughs> yeah <we> could, <laughs> that, that'd be good yeah you know that that's that, and, and the thing is, is um i i have no problem with people celebrating things um the Reformed have their own holiday too. I mean,
0: right, right. <laughs> we, we just,
1: they, cel- they celebrated it last <laughs> night. This is no, no high and holy days, happy Reformation Day. And so, um, I mean, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with having traditions and marking out certain events or something on the calendar, but, uh, what better can we do with the holidays than to remember, uh, our Lord and, and what, uh, what he's accomplished right. for us. Um, you know, and the thing with traditions is, is there's nothing wrong with traditions. Christ didn't say traditions were bad. He said that um, in, in uh, Mark 7, he said, uh, abandoning the commands of God, you hold on to the traditions mm-hmm. of man. It's, it's that replacement right. where the traditions of man, if we were to hold these things up above and discard the commands of, of God in place of, of, of his, his word, then we've got a problem. There, there's nothing wrong with, uh, right. for instance, uh, going to the beach. Uh, there's nothing wrong with someone who says, you know, I can't go to the beach. It's a sin. It's, it's, it's a sin issue for me because the fact that I have a lust issue is a temptation issue for me. That's fine. He's 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 he set himself up a rule uh, in his life that he can't do that because of the fact that it might be a, a problem. Um, uh, some people like to yeah celebrate uh, Christmas. Some people don't. Um, and f- mm-hmm. as long as you're 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 uh, giving thanks to the Lord in it and you're not uh, turning it into um, uh, something that becomes higher than than, than the Word of God.
0: Right. And right. you don't judge others right. for not seeing it right. and obeying it the way you right. do. Once you've started you judging them,
1: then you have exalted your tradition above the Word of God, which is commanding us to love them and to not judge them and to understand that we have this freedom. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. So there we go. We've got the – hey, you know what? Let's we, – we're going to – We. I know what we're going to do. We're going to We're gonna start publishing the official Cross the Crown calendar with, with uh, the official – There you go. Uh New Covenant, uh, high and holy days. (laughs) We'll put them in red, (laughs) like the red letter days of old.
0: (laughs) Excellent. That uh, is perfectly in line with all of none of the 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 Sundays
1: will be in red letter because we don't believe in a Sabbath Sunday Sabbath. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. All right, there we go. And we'll have uh, every every month. We'll have a picture of the month. It'll be uh, Doug eating. like I, I've got that picture still, that whipped cream on top of that pumpkin pie. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Lavish, yeah,
0: lavish, lavish, lavish. And like grace. I said, I cannot
1: yes. think of the word lavish now without having that picture coming to my mind. So, that's you know, right. Thanksgiving is coming. That's, that's right. You have that
0: pumpkin pie. If you can see what's under that cream, you have not. You know, lavished. the
1: older I've gotten, the more I love Thanksgiving. <laughs> 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 uh, for for many reasons, but. uh uh, it used to be Christmas when I was a kid, and uh, uh, Thanksgiving has gotten higher and higher on the list, but, uh, but just the family time, but still love Christmas. All right, so um, let me move on to another question, uh, see if we can get through some more of these. So here's a good one, and it comes up a lot too, and it has more implications this this passage. But uh, Corey Daniel asks, how does someone who is NCT preach, read, or apply Psalm 119? is it biblically just to put hmm. cho- oh, that's a different one so you got a two part question here uh, let's go with that first is, is how do we read preach and apply Psalm 119 which over and over again talks about quote unquote the law and there, you probably know why I put quote unquote the law mm-hmm.
0: there right um, well certainly it's profitable because it tells us that uh, everything mm-hmm. in the Old Testament is profitable mm-hmm. for us and the question we always have to ask is how mm-hmm. is it profitable uh, as our law, then whatever law mm-hmm. that, uh, the psalmist is talking about, we would say that's not our law. So I'm not going to look to anything that he says there as uh, as binding as far as what commands I'm supposed to keep and that kind of thing. The other thing I would say is as you read through it, uh, there it's clearly an old covenant mm-hmm. passage because he does not speak of a person who has the power mm-hmm. of the Holy Spirit to overcome temptation. And he does not speak as a man uh, who is forgiven in the same way that we know we are forgiven. Uh, wh- what I mean by that is he's he's constantly begging the Lord for mm-hmm. mercy, and he's he's broken God's law, and so he's asking for mercy, and and, and in a different way, I think, than just a, a Christian confessing sin and saying, "I've done this, please forgive me." But he he's old covenant guy; he knows the ramifications of breaking God's law. And and so the attitude, the, the heart, the um, the tone of it is, is certainly Old Covenant uh, oriented. Having said that, um, certainly his, for the Old Covenant person, what was the lamp mm-hmm. to his path? It, mm-hmm. it was God's law. That's, that's what he knew. That's how he mm-hmm. knew to obey God. Uh, he wanted to please God. And how is he going to do that? Well, he needs to see the way clearly and God's law is what showed him the way clearly. So to draw from that and say, okay, what is our new covenant law? Right. Because I too want to please God. And what is, how, how do I walk the right path? Well, I look at the commands of Jesus because right. that's what he tells me to do. He's my King. And so that's found in the new covenant scriptures. So my heart resonates with the psalmist in Psalm 119, as he says all of these things, but my law and the path I'm on and, and those things are different. And again, I don't have to beg God to forgive me for going astray. He's already forgiven me in Christ. So that tone is different. I I'm I'm not saying in a desperate way. I'm just so Mm -hmm. lost and miserable. And if you don't restore me, I'm hopeless. I say you have restored me. You have given me the new heart. You have forgiven me. I am sorry for how I've gone astray. Now help me. But it's a different tone, I think, than what we see in Mm some of Psalm 119. Now
1: he has a second question. Um, and it's completely different. Uh, <laughs> he, he, he hit them one after the other, and they're just, just opposite of each other. Uh, is, is 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 it biblically just to put child molesters and rapists to death? Hmm.
0: I would probably mm-hmm. say no. Because, uh, well, I would say it this way. Uh, the, the death penalty that we see in the Old Testament that transcends the mm-hmm. Old Covenant is what I already alluded to, and that right. is murder, first-degree murder. What we would call first-degree murder, meditated, premeditated, mm-hmm. you take a man's life. Uh, we don't see anything else that I'm aware of in either Testament Uh, more universally binding in terms of uh, capital Mm -hmm. punishment. Um, Now, in America, if we have decided to do that, Mm -hmm. it is the law of the land. And uh, that is, you know, the the, the government has the right, as we talked about, to bear the sword. And if they choose to do that, then then it is legal. Whether, you know, God sanctions that, uh, I just don't see the scripture addressing it. Uh, and I say this carefully because I have counseled the, mm-hmm. the victims of mm-hmm. those crimes e- even recently, and it's awful. And there are times when I, I just I think about these uh, men, oftentimes a relative, mm-hmm. who have mm-hmm. molested these girls, right place, and yeah. not only girls, boys too. But I just think when they stand before judgment – if I understand anything about mm-hmm. the justice of God, they are going to suffer as much as a murderer yeah. for what they've done to these girls. But that's mm-hmm. just Doug talking, you know, that's because of my involvement and, and, and seeing the consequences of these detestable acts. But as far as what the scripture says, I don't see biblical warrant for uh, capital punishment. For those let, who let me, punished. let
1: me add to the question let me, let me uh, uh, put this to you. Um, how should a Christian vote if it came up on a ballot uh, in their state to make child molestation and, and rape uh, a, a matter for the death penalty? What, what, how should a Christian vote on that? How would you vote on it?
0: Um, I would okay. probably vote no for the okay. reasons I just gave, and that is in no way to try to minimize – the damage and the pain and the suffering that's been inflicted, I just don't see biblical mm-hmm. justification for the death penalty for anything outside of a mm-hmm. uh, first degree okay. murder. So those are from
1: Corey Daniel, those two let's move on to uh, uh, Colbert Braden. He says, uh, or he asks, the difficulty. Oh, this is one that, uh, uh, that, that I, I might be able to jump in as well. Um, the difficulty of special needs, kids and and church that's his topic uh lots of quote-unquote reformed churches frown on children church and children's church and such i understand the argument but one of the reasons i attend a church that has a children's church is my autistic child uh he has issues with he has issues in the church service so how do parents of special needs kids deal with it is children's church a good or bad thing (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah that last line <laughs> the, um,
1: regardless of autism is children's church a good or bad thing yes
0: <laughs> yes well I, and again I understand the, the point of the question uh, I, so we have uh, pretty solid conservative mm-hmm. churches here in, in Colorado Springs who have completely separate worship services right, right. for their teenagers uh, as opposed to the adults which uh, I just I don't I can't get behind that um, so part of the part of the problem here is our whole ecclesiology uh, and, and our understanding of what church is. Uh, if we think back to New Testament era, when the church gathered in homes, not just on Sunday, but multiple days throughout mm-hmm. the, the week. Uh, and we've all done this where we've had groups mm-hmm. of Christians, maybe a small right. group gathering or whatever. And, you know, some of the kids are just unruly. And they're at that age where they're not learning anything and you think, you know what, let's uh, let's let's have some some of the older kids take them downstairs and play with them for a right. while or whatever. To me, children's church can be done that mm-hmm. way. And that's not a bad thing. You could have the, the kids um, or whoever's teaching, whoever's taking them in the other room, you could have them present some biblical truth in a way that is a, uh, that maybe they can understand, you know, at their level. And they're not distracting from the rest of the conversation that's going on at a a deeper level. Uh, And that's kind of how we view it. We have nursery up to uh, like four-year-old, I think. No, not four-year-old, two years old. And then we have, uh, sometimes we have children's church up to first grade. And those kids are being taught Mm -hmm. something from the scripture. And we don't tell parents you have to. We, We love, I don't mind noise when I'm preaching. I don't mind the kids screaming and crying out. And we have our, our sermons uh, on video out in the foyer, so they can certainly just take them back out there. Right. They want to be less distracting, and they can still listen, possibly. Um, I, I just, you know, to, to, so I would want to avoid a couple of, of extremes here. To create an entire different worship service for a segment of the church, I don't mm-hmm. like that. But to say, how do we keep distractions away uh, for the larger group and, and, and to create a scenario, whether it's out in the foyer or another room or, or whatever, I don't have a problem with that. Again, it's not as though that room is the sanctuary mm-hmm. and this gathering is the sacred moment before God. See, that's the Reformed right. view. That's the covenant view. It, it's tied to, it's still left hung over from uh, Catholicism and old covenant orientation, where now you've entered the presence mm-hmm. of God on Sunday morning at 8.30 in the sanctuary. That is simply not the New Testament right. view of gathering yeah. for worship. If it's a group of Christians gathering together to to worship and to celebrate and to be edified and those kind of things, and there's a lot of distractions and there's a way to avoid that distraction, I'm all for that um, so long as it it it, it doesn't become – um, this rigid thing, and we start creating a whole another worship service for this other segment.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, as a as a pastor, and I, I'd like to voice some stuff. But what, as a pastor, do you do you have any special needs children in, in your church? Uh, do, we do. Do you yeah. have any special uh, protocols, um, uh, 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 things that you can do for for the the kids there? Do you offer anything? Do you um, do, do you do you talk with the parents about things?
0: Uh, we do we talk to the parents and if they desire something unique for their kids then we are open to do that so far uh and we haven't mm -hmm. had a lot of this but so far our parents have said no we want these kids to we just want to keep teach them some discipline and make them sit next Mm -hmm. to us in the service and i'm great with that and again if they get a little noisy i'm okay with that um and so we haven't had parents clamoring for that kind of thing. But if they wanted it, I would be open to seeing what we could do to uh, mm-hmm. facilitate that. And I, and I know and maybe you can I mean, <laughs> you can speak to this from firsthand experience from, a, from a, just a pastoral perspective to think, you know, your life is so consumed, especially when they're young, so consumed with caring yeah. for them. That where do you really get fed? to edified and have some adult fellowship to to have a situation where somebody else can watch the kids where you can be undistracted for edification Mm -hmm. and fellowship. To me that seems like a really good yep. and wise thing so I'd be curious to hear your thoughts as a parent. Um, yeah, uh,
1: I'll, like. I'll be honest with you I've thought about doing some um, some writing on this at some point uh because now I I thought about it years ago but I have thought man I need to I need more experience I need need to to walk through uh mm. childhood and I've got an 18 year old with adult with, with autism and I've got a 16 year old with autism and it's a spectrum disorder so you can have you know uh, a very mm. mild form of autism uh, like Asperger's um, or very severe autism where there may be some retardation or some other disabilities that are involved. Uh, my sons fall somewhere in the middle and uh, they're both, even though they're brothers and two years apart and they both have autism, they're, so, they're very different. Uh, one, the oldest one, he was the most extreme when he was young and now he's, he's to the point where most people don't know he has autism until they spend some time around him. Um, that's not to say he has Asperger's, he definitely has, You know, he's on the middle of the spectrum area. Uh, my other son, everybody knows he's autistic right away because of the fact that uh, he, he does things that send messages, let you know that he's, he's just, he's got a learning disability. Um, very cool. sweet voice, but it was difficult. Uh, when we first started doing church with the, with the boys, uh, uh, a lot of noise and, and, um, uh, a lot of they had trouble sitting still. Um, let me encourage anybody who's listening right now, especially pastors, uh, listen to me, please carefully. Uh, when they bring their kids to church, first of all, they want to be there. They really want to fellowship with you guys. And more likely than not, especially if they've got a young one and they've just got this diagnosis of autism, there's this feeling that they get from the rest of the community that they are now meant to be shut-ins. The the amount of counseling I've done in the past on on, uh, autism, talking to parents uh, when their children are first diagnosed, it was very sad because of the fact that they, they – and, and we felt this too because of where we were at, uh, the lack of understanding of autism. There's a lot of condemnation that actually comes from some folks when they do the, the jeering and turning around and actually telling you to be quiet and you're like looking at your child mm. and you're trying to explain autism to them. But ne- a lot of people know what autism is now. But the, the folks need that fellowship. They, the, 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 pa- the parents need that fellowship desperately. So even if they're not able to stay for the entire service or something, I encourage pastors, I encourage uh, members of the congregation to reach out to them, let them know you love them, go by for a few minutes and visit them, and you will just bless them tremendously to let them know that they're, mm-hmm. they are not re- forgotten, that uh, you still love them and you want to fellowship with them as well. Um, and, and I would encourage folks, uh, if you have a member – in your in your church that is autistic get to know them each each autistic person Mm -hmm. is different whether they're a child or adult i encourage pastors not to just rely on um parents to get to know the children but do like you do with the rest of the children in your your church where you try to get to know them because they're going to be growing up in your church get to know that autistic child uh because you're going to learn you're going to need to learn to speak another language in a lot of ways in order to communicate with them understand their there's their body motions or hand motions because they're trying oftentimes to communicate, but they just can't do it verbally. And each one's different, like I said. Um, and, and also, um, uh, and I can go on and on, like I said, the, the congregation needs to remember that not only is God using uh, uh, this, it, you know, when Jesus, Jesus said that the, the blind man was born blind, not for the parent's sin or his sin, but for the glory of God. Um, and I always approached my children's autism in that way, is this is meant for the glory mm. of God. And it has been a tremendous sanctifying aspect in my life to have children with, with autism. I, I'm not the most patient man in the world, but I am incredibly mm. more patient than I was in my uh, younger days, uh, not because of my age, but because of children with autism. And not only is it a sanctify, meant to be a sanctifying process for me to make me more like Christ, but I firmly believe. That it is a sanctifying gift for the church as well, is is how can the church be more like Christ in regards to those who are disabled, and uh, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for the church to show and to manifest the love of Christ for those in, the, in their their midst that are uh, less able than themselves, and to, to to be a blessing to them and be understanding. And that's one of the things I think is uh, most needed is understanding. Parents want understanding. They want you to know that they don't have a bad child. They're not a bad parent, necessarily. It's just that they have a disability that causes them to be a little more vocal, a little bit more motion than most people are, sometimes a lot more. Um, and and um, I, I think it's a good thing. And with the parent's permission and talking to them specifically about their child, it's okay for a pastor, I think, to get up and say, hey, just want to let you know, we have a, a new member here or we have someone visiting uh, who has, has autism. And so if you hear some noises, he's not upset. Nothing's wrong. He's voice voicing himself, okay, uh, to, to maybe explain. I know I, when my sons would go to um, uh, youth classes and they would start youth classes, uh, like a, a Wednesday night meeting, I would go before them, before the, the, the week before he went, I would go to that meeting and say, hey, kids, let me explain to you about my son and let me explain to you about autism and once i did that it was incredible the reaction that that they got or he got from that group very loving understanding oh it's it's noah it's no problem that he can that he makes those noise and i even found the kids explaining to new kids you know about noah when when they would come into the group and they're like what they look over at noah like what is he doing what is he saying why is he making that noise and and uh, the, the other kids would say oh he 's autistic, and sometimes he does this and this and this, and he 's really sweet, you know, and so it was nice to see that, but um, it 's an opportunity for us to love on them. I can go on and on and on, doug <laughs> um, so, some things also um, practical things uh, cry rooms if they 're not being occupied by by mothers who are nursing children, um, I think that uh, that's, that needs to be kept for them if that 's designated for them, but uh, if it 's not being used i 've used cry rooms many, many times uh, with my son Levi up into you know, I think just a couple of years ago we were we were visiting a church and we were in a cry room that didn't have any parents in it. Sometimes uh, uh, they they, they uh, have rooms that are that are set off somewhere. They have a, a, a audio in there. We we would listen to sermons in there. Uh, I encourage autistic parents to try to keep your child in the service as long as possible. I know that sometimes you feel like, oh, my child's just out of control or or too loud. Um, try to keep them in there at least in the music, because a lot of times folks won't hear them during the music. <laughs> and uh, and it's, it's, <laughs> right. it's often when, the, when, like for my son, when it was the preaching began, because he noticed there's this music going on, and all of a sudden it died down and got quiet. And he thought, oh, okay, I can make my noise now. And so he would start making his noise at that point in time. Now he's able to sit through an entire service with no problem. And uh, actually, let me back up. We actually sit Uh, sometimes halfway through the service he'll get a little anxious he needs to move that's another thing they need to move a lot sometimes so we go sit in the back of the auditorium on the floor and he gets on the floor and he can stretch out and he feels good but he's sitting there through the entire service and i get to listen to the message and interact and fellowship and um, uh, when people go through back and forth they see us sitting there and uh, it's it's uh, an opportunity for them to see and kind of relate to what's going on as well um he uses if, if your music is too loud because that's a, a problem sometimes with certain churches even if your music is not considered loud it may be loud to the autistic person so if you see them wearing headphones it doesn't mean that they're listening to music <laughs> or playing playing video games or such uh it, it means that they may be drowning out the sound like my, my son wears a uh, shooting headphones to try to block out the, the the volume of the music and uh he's now able to take it off when he hears a sermon and stuff like that but we just need to be understanding of those things um so I like I said I can go on and on, but uh, let's not, not not do that. So um,
0: that's really helpful uh, for me just to be aware in my own congregation. Uh, that's really helpful for me, and I would just encourage fellow pastors, any any leader mm-hmm. of a ministry, we set the tone yeah. for this kind of thing. Uh, like you said, mm-hmm. to get up in front and just say, "Here's what's going on." We're the ones that people are going to respond. Right. Uh, basically, how right. we respond, and if we are standoffish, if we're afraid to engage or if we're disturbed and annoyed by that, uh, that kind of that noise, then everyone else is going to feel the right to be those things as well. On the other hand, if we're welcoming and encouraging and gracious and happy that they're there, then people are going to respond yeah. to that also. I had um,
1: uh, <laughs> one, one time uh, where, where my oldest one was, was um, listening. It was a sermon and <laughs> sorry, it, it was a sermon and inter- he mentioned death and hell. And my oldest son, I think he was about 15 at the time, maybe, but he heard that and he let out, oh no. (laughs) (laughs) And the pastor went with it and he says, that's right, Noah. (laughs) He says, oh no, is our reaction to this.
0: <laughs> that's
1: good, so, so that's good. People, some people chuckle and they like that they, they understood you know that's, that's a good reaction. that's the right reaction to to that, oh no, <laughs> and so the pastor went with it, and it made right. made uh, everybody understand he was part of the congregation, the pastor was not ignoring him and uh um yeah, so it was mm-hmm. it was sweet, it was a really sweet moment but um yeah, so um maybe i'll maybe i'll I'll work on a on a church's guide to autism one day
0: <laughs> do it the
1: church that's needs right. to know oh. And it goes across the board to other disabilities as well, folks. Uh, we're not just talking about autism here, but there's a lot of other things that uh, uh, folks are dealing with, uh, children and adults. So, so we need to be attentive. We need to be loving um, in, in that way. Let's see. We've got a few more questions, but we're running out of time for this episode. Um, so let's roll these over to – because there's some really good ones coming up. Um, so let's, let's roll these over. Some of the questions that you may have asked folks, they actually are – The topic of future podcast episodes we're planning on doing so i did not put those in the list this time because we're going to answer those in in more depth very soon so uh you may not hear those those questions coming up or you didn't hear them today some of you asked questions that we were going to ask today but we've run out of time so we'll roll this over and have another uh q a with doug at some other future time so uh doug do you have anything else
0: no, good questions. We appreciate those and uh, just pr- appreciate the encouragement uh, yeah. from everyone who's been yeah. listening.
1: Yeah, thanks for, thanks for the questions, guys. I, I uh, want to encourage you that the, on the next round, that when you do send in questions, make them extremely hard for Doug. So he, he, he went through <laughs> yeah. this too easy, <laughs> no, too no, no, easy. No. It was like he knew the questions, <laughs> had been asked these before. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe once <laughs> or <wants it> twice. <laughs> That's one of the blessings of uh, being able to tap into those 20 plus years of of pastoral ministry. And we do appreciate it, Doug. Thanks for sharing your knowledge with us in in this time. So, well, folks, uh, that's all we have for today. We really appreciate you being here. We want to let you know you can contact us at Chris at Crosstocrown.org. Send us questions, send us comments. uh, and, And if you're looking for resources, let us know. We've got plenty of resources on the website we can point you to. Uh, we've been doing that a lot recently with, through the podcast. People have asked us questions of, of, about uh, sermons and, and uh, messages, books, and stuff. And check out the, uh, the audio, visual, and books that are, that are on CrossTheCrown.org. You can also check us out on the Facebook page, Cross the Crown Ministries. You'll see stuff pop up every single day, whether it be um, mentioning a book or videos that Doug does on NCT or uh, just a, a preaching series that he's doing or even about marriage and, a, yes, manhood that we've been talking about at the beginning of this episode. Uh, definitely looking forward to, to you producing that book. He, at the same time, he's also uh, finishing up the editing work for, for uh, the Romans book, so that'll be up soon, too. So uh, lots going on at Cross the Crown, and you can expect more to come out as plans are being discussed and, and futures being looked at. And we're really excited about the things that are happening. So we appreciate your prayers for this ministry and for this podcast. And so we want to, again, to ask, remind you to be Christ-obsessed in all things at all
0: times. I hate so.